Hello, everybody, and welcome back to AMTV Radio. This is the show where I am joined by a very special guest each time, and we just talk about, well, all sorts of things, whether that's pop culture, nostalgia, a bit about them and their work, just all sorts of things, really. And this time, I'm joined by a very talented guest indeed. I am joined by the YouTuber known as Who Chaser, or as I know him, as Dom. Dom, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm uh, not doing too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, man, not bad. Just trying to keep busy. I mean, uh, I guess the obvious thing to ask, as I as I might do with any person I join on the show, is how has the how has the pandemic been treating you? Have you managed to been keeping all right throughout all this? <laughs> uh, well, about as all right as one can really. Been just trying to keep busy most of it. So it's really the only thing you can do in these sorts of uh, circumstances. I feel that's the best thing, especially for people like yourself and me who are in the more like creative space where like without keeping busy, I think we just sort of fall apart. I think it's fair to say so. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, do you just want to explain for those who might not know you? I'm sure some viewers on my channel will be aware of you and vice versa. But do you just want to explain to the audience a bit about yourself and your channel and what it is you do? Of course. So I started doing uh, YouTube in about 2014. 14 or 15, I can't even remember, it's been a while, uh, and uh, I started doing a cosplay tutorial, so most people will know me for my uh, How to Cosplay series on cosplaying the Doctors of Doctor Who, which I like to think is kind of my forte, because uh, I'm a cosplayer and I just love to dress up as them, because it's just a lot of fun really. <laughs> and aside from that, I also do a bit of uh, acting in the... DW2012 Doctor Who fan series, Doctor Who fan film. So that is also something that is upcoming and I guess I'm kind of known for that as well in certain circles of the Doctor Who community. So I I get about, I get about. No, sure, I was going to say, uh, I, I suppose you you are the Doctor, it's fair to say. You are the Purple Doctor. In a sense, yes, that is me. <laughs> that must be really cool, being able, even even in a fan film sense, that must be really cool just to say to people, I am the Doctor, or I'm playing the Doctor. It really is, in all <laughs> honesty. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not official, but it is the next best thing that I can, I can have a claim to fame to say, I am the Doctor. And you know what, in recent circumstances, you never know, it could well be. No, absolutely, man. I mean, I'm an actor myself by trade, and I've often thought if I ever was to do like like yourself, you know, like a fan film project or a self produced thing, it's like it sh it may not be official with the BBC stamp, but at least I can say to people in some way, like you know, I've done it, I've played the Doctor. So I feel like more power to you for just going for it and and, and achieving that. I think it's brilliant. Um, just as a bit of uh, context, how did what made you? want to get into the whole cosplaying scene of, of Doctor Who? Was it a particular, like, Doctor's costume that got you inspired, or did you just, like, found you started it, and then it sort of snowballed into what it is now? Yeah, um, I was really inspired by Tom Baker's outfit. Mm. Um, that was the outfit that really just captured my heart, so to speak. I had gone to uh, conventions before in Milton Keynes, uh, my hometown, called Collectomania, uh, mm. It was a free convention that used to be at the stadium and at the shopping centre, and I've been going there for several years. And I saw a few cosplayers about, as you do, and one was dressed as the fourth Doctor. And I was like, I want to really want to do that. And fortunately, my mother had knitted for me a Tom Baker scarf. And I was like, OK, if I get put two and two together here, I could actually make something decent. And I was only like... Oof. 
16, 17 at the time. And so it was, it was very, I had virtually no budget at all. Mm. So I just grabbed a, a red jacket from uh, my parents' wardrobe and just like uh, sucked the scarf on. I was like, da da. Yeah. And that was my first outfit. So I went to conventions and just uh, kind of carried on from there. I ended up uh, dressing up as Matt Smith's doctor from then and then going into Peter Capaldi's doctor. Yeah, it was all generally going into uh, it's all roads basically lead to Doctor Who for me. So yeah, no, I like it. I mean, I love how as you just said there with with your first ever costume, you just sort of as a young Whovian with no budget, you just sort of grabbed whatever you could. I mean, I think I think it's fair to say for a lot of Whovians who, especially those who like to cosplay or go to conventions whilst cosplaying and stuff, I think that's how a lot of us start, isn't it? Because I mean. When you're a kid, money to buy, you know, replica outfits that are 200 or more pounds. It's just it's just not an option, really, is it? No, not an option at all. So you really got to uh, just budget save and you've got to really just pinpoint the best things you can on like a zero budget. Whether they you just make use of your resources, basically. So if you just raid your parents wardrobe with or without their consent, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so and uh, just make sure that you can just put together something that vaguely resembles the outfit like most people will have like a a dark like a, a tweed jacket or something or just a dark jacket they can use for matt smith yeah or like you can just um grab a so to speak a uh a leather jacket you can use for eccleston's doctor like you these things just crop up no, that's it. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, my first uh, cosplay, I went as Matt Smith's doctor, like the, the tweed era, if you like, you know, the tweed jacket mm. and the braces and the one color shirt. And like you say, that was literally, I was about 16, 17, and it was because of budget and, and ease. I mean, my mate owned a tweed jacket for uh, for the sixth form we went to. So I just pinched that, wore a plain shirt, found some braces, some smart trousers and hey, presto, you've got a Matt Smith vague Lookalike, but I think I think what I find a bit um, personally, I don't know if you've ever encountered this yourself, but I, what I found disheartening, I went to a London convention, you know, at the um, I think it was London Comic Con at the XL Center. Oh, MCM, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I went there as the Matt Smith Doctor. Now my hair is, um, you know, it's blonde. It, basically, my hair doesn't look like Matt Smith. Basically, it's blonde. I usually wear it all stuck up, like I've electrocuted myself because, you know. I probably have electrocuted myself a number of times. Um, but it's you know, cool. I, it's very David Lynch. I, uh, do you know what? You're not the first person to say that. I, I'm, uh, for those watching on YouTube, I'm going to have to throw a picture of David Lynch on the screen now so they can go, ah, right, or like the whole eraser head style thing. But um, <laughs> no, I remember going, and obviously my head looked nothing like Matt Smith. And you know, as you do at conventions, like you just get chatting with fellow people who are dressed up, and especially those, I guess, in the same fandom as you. And someone said to me, he was a great deal older. I think he was about early 30s, I guess. And he sort of, you know, like, look, my cost. He was in like a, I'd say a full replica Peter Davison, you know, like full as if it had been made by the props team itself, I suppose. And he sort of looked up and down. He was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, the tweed jacket's good. It's all good. It's like, yeah, but your hair doesn't match though, does it? And I was a bit like, come on, dude. Like, I'm I'm 16. I'm earning like a few pounds of pocket money on a weekend. I'm still in school. I just think like, you know, yes, it's nice to have costumes that are as accurate to the screen as possible. But have you ever found in your cosplaying career, if you like, where people have said, oh yeah, like the costume's really good, but like either, if, if, even if it's like a hairstyling or like, my, do you know what I mean? Like minor details. Have you ever found that or? 
I was going to say, yeah, the person who did that to you was obviously a clown. Um, <laughs> Quite, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I have uh, had bits and pieces, the odd uh, comment and everything, because I look virtually... I have My hair only really matches one Doctor, and that's Tom Baker. Uh, but I don't limit myself to cosplaying Tom Baker, because, just because of, like, I, I like... I want to do as many as I can, because I just like the characters. Um, but... Yeah, when people are just nitpicky like that, it, it can just really annoy you. But I find it's uh, it's more of a reflection on them that they must live some sort of a sad life that all <laughs> what they want to do instead of like uh, engaging with fans on a constructive basis and deciding, you know what, Doctor Who fan, let's be friends. They're like, oh, Doctor Who fan, you know, as good as me. So, and that's the attitude that is really just caused the fair bit of toxicity in the community and it's i don't like that uh what we do this hobby the why, why we do it is for fun generally and sometimes just going as accurate as you can it is a choice at the end of the day and it is just sometimes it's nice to have a full outfit and be like yeah i did that that's cool but under no circumstances is it appropriate to just put someone down for their own outfit no i completely agree especially when not trying to like make like myself sound like a sympathy story because I was young but I think especially like you know the younger the person is where it's obvious they might not have the same budget as as older fans I think it's especially inappropriate to try and call them out for that because you know they're just trying they're just trying they just want to be be a part of what for the most part is a really positive community and I think in a way in my opinion the whole you know aspect of social media where every debate whether it's cosplay or on the stories themselves is you know primarily text-based instead of like what we're doing now via voice or or video and i think a lot of opinions can either get skewed or you know misconstrued misinterpreted and i think we've all you know we've all been there where we we i guess we say oh if we'd have just been there you know face to face with them this could have all been easier and um i i wanted to ask and this is a this is a topic that is not a bit darker, I guess a bit more serious, if you like. And if you don't want to answer, like, please feel free. But um, have you ever found um, in the Doctor Who community you've been the subject of any kind of racism within the fandom? Uh, yes, yes, I will say. Don't worry, I'll answer this, of course. Um, I mean, even recently you get people calling you the N-word and it's uh, very rarely, very, very, very rarely, but... It still happens, and some people do it just to, like, get a rise out of you, or whatever, but some are just, some are just, frankly, degenerates, but, um, but the thing is, like, it's all about knowing that you are better and stronger than those people that try to attack you or put you down in ways like that, because, uh, at the end of it all, you are going to be standing there and you are going to be the one who's putting yourself out there properly. And usually the other person is hiding behind a, uh, not their face profile picture, grey face or whatever. They'll be just, uh, it's just kind of pathetic what they do, really. And when it comes to racial insults as well, especially, that just proves that they're really just trying to get a reaction out of you. Because why else would you do it? Well, no, this is it, isn't it? It's just to get clicks or or get attention and i mean i i am i am sorry to hear that it still happens it shouldn't happen really in any fandom in any context it's sad that it still goes on like that but i think the way how you've just described it the way how you approach it and you handle it i think is the most 
like the, the best way to deal with it. And also, man, you can just say like, hey, I'm the doctor. I'm being the doctor. Like they haven't been the doctor. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like you're achieving all this stuff, like with your YouTube and with DW2012. And like, you know, you can just be like, well, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? You sat, you know, faceless behind a keyboard trying to get her eyes out of me. Like, you know, have a nice day sort of thing. But no, like I'm, I'm just, I am happy to hear like that you, you say you like, you know, you're able to deal with it in a, not necessarily a positive way, but do you know what I mean? You're able to process it in a way where you can be like, yeah, that's happened, but I move, I'm like moving past it. I'm, I'm stronger than it, etc. So that makes me reassured to hear, which is good. Um, one thing I do want to ask you back to a bit more casual stuff is obviously the most recent series of Doctor Who was series 12 this year. And uh, obviously, for a lot of people, it was quite a, d- a divisive season, shall we say? <laughs> if that's the, <sighs> the the simpler word, yeah. Um, that is the very simplest way you can put it, yeah. Yeah, the the most like easy way to put it. But I'm just curious, um, just you know, from fan to fan, uh, what was your opinion on series twelve as a whole? I mean, I, I I'm not the biggest fan of the of uh, Chibnall's run on it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, but I do see that it has certainly got some merit, especially Series 12. Uh, series 12 brought forth a very good new master in yes. Series 1. Mm. I really enjoyed his performance, and uh, the story Skyfall was very good. Um, the whole, Obviously, the uh, the elephant in the room is the whole Timeless Children twist. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> I'll get onto that in a mo. Yes. Um, but I, I thought that the more casual episodes of the series, like uh, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror... Or the haunting of Villa Diodati, they were quite excellent in my opinion. Um, so I would definitely say that the uh, series twelve was a stronger series for me than series eleven. And uh, yeah, I would say it's it's quite okay. Yeah, no, sure, I, I I agree with you on the on the whole. Like, there's I think there was a lot more fun in general in this series. Like, I mean, I really. Uh, like you know we all have our favorite eras and stuff but for me like when i watch i'm like if this you know is this fun is this entertaining am i enjoying myself whilst watching it and on the whole for me at least in in a season season or series 12 yes i was i mean yes as you say the main thing is the timeless children we'll get onto that in a minute but um, the other like main gripes or criticisms if you like was in stuff like um, Orphan 55 and Praxius, where, you know, there was clear messages. So whether that was climate change or plastic pollution, etc. Um, I appreciate the message. You know, I'm not saying TV dramas like Doctor Who shouldn't tackle that. I just thought in particular with, in my opinion, in case of Praxius, that whole message was just bashed around the audience's head so much and so just so blatantly as well, like not even in a in a more subtle manner, literally to the point where you're like, plastic is bad, isn't it? It's like, we're just sat there like, yes, we're, we're very aware. I don't know, like, what do you think? Do you think the messages were a bit too hammered in this year or? I must say Orphan 55 did annoy me a bit, um, mainly because they had done this big old publicity run beforehand with BBC America being like, you won't believe the ending. You well, it's got to be seen to be believed. And the ending was essentially the <laughs> the doctor leaving a couple of people to die and they're going on a speech about climate change. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, wow, we wouldn't believe that was ever coming, would we? But yeah, no, it's just, I, I think it's a fine line in any TV drama, in my opinion, in terms of getting a message across. I think, like, well, to go with Classic Who, The Green Death, for example, like, yes, there were moments where 
you know, it's on the nose about how, uh, you know, chemicals and all that sort of stuff can ruin the planet. I mean, there's a bunch of hippies, for goodness sake. But I would argue even across six episodes, the message feels way less, you know, hammered in than it did in one 50-minute episode of, of Modern Who. I just think there's a there's more subtle ways you can disguise it and get it across to an audience without literally having, as you say in Orphan 55's case, you know, to stand in front of a camera and say, climate change is happening. If you don't do something, we will all die. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I think it's a bit... It's a bit too like eighties PSA, I think. But yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. It's very PSA, and I think there are just more subtle ways to go about it. You could just work it in naturally into the script, like that. Like uh, political issues were handled in classic, who more filtered into the story. Hmm. No, definitely. I think the modern series can take a lot of uh, well cues from classic, who really, and it has done on occasion. But I think there are still really strong merits of the classic show where, you know, they could probably pinch a bit more. I'll, I'll probably ask you a bit more about your views on the classic series in a bit, but we have avoided the element of this series. It's the Timeless <laughs> Children. It's everyone's favourite. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll let you kick things off. How do you? <laughs> what were your thoughts on this? Well, I just thought it was a bit pointless, really. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, this has... The way it was um, kind of portrayed is that it was a massive change, but at the same time, no change at all. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so if it's no change for the Doctor at all, then what's the point? If you're going yeah. to go in one direction, commit. Definitely. Uh, so it was just really easily hand-raved. And it was the same with Fugitive the Jadoon. You had the introduction of a whole new Doctor. By the next episode, the Doctor's just... Oh, okay. Move on to something else. <laughs> we forgot good. about that. Plastic's bad. Did you know? Plastic's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it just moved on to... Yeah, and it's just like, okay, you know, we could have really just formed a really cohesive arc if you got rid of about four episodes from the series, but okay. Um, <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, the whole... Would, would you argue... Because I thought this at the time. Like, I, I agree with you in the sense, like, you know, I thought, oh, it changes everything, but then it kind of doesn't change anything as you say um what do you think about the theory some people bound about would it be more interesting if the master was the timeless child instead yes absolutely because it would give a real firm motivation for the master to just completely a go back to evil after being missy and b completely obliterate gallifrey out of sheer spite and revenge um I feel like that one would have a bit more uh, weight to it, having the Doctor's greatest rival, enemy, friend be basically um, a, something that was used to create Gallifreyan culture, and they would be just, they'd be distraught by it. But having it be the Doctor, it just creates that sort of like, oh, protagonist, protagonist again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's the main character. We've got to give the main character a big backstory. I mean, the whole thing with the whole Tech Tayoon and that. You know, I didn't mind that as much. I was like, okay, I can, I can buy this. But yeah, I don't know what it was. Just the fact it was the Doctor, like that fact for me at least, that was a bit like, oh, that's a bit. That whole backstory, if that was the Master, I would have been all for it, all for it. Like, like as you say, gives a really strong motive for, you know, why the Satcher Dwan incarnation is the way he is. And we would have been we would have been rolling, but alas, it was not to be. But I guess the other main talking point that a lot of people had from that reveal was obviously the whole uh, uh, pre-Hartnell incarnations. 
Um, in my view, the whole Joe Martin situation is the only thing that was a bit unsolved for me, and they might tackle it in the next series. But um, obviously, like I can grasp that there were incarnations before Hartnell, you know, incarnations that aren't referred to as the Doctor. Like I, I would still refer that Hartnell is the first Doctor, as in the first incarnation, you know, to go by that title. But the Joe Martin Doctor, of course, has an oldish-looking TARDIS interior, but it's a police box, but... Jody's so I think that's the only block in the way for me if that makes sense. I don't know what your thoughts on on all that are. Yeah, I find it's a bit confusing as well because if, as you said she's got a police box TARDIS and that bugs me a little bit because it didn't become a police box until Totter's Lane. And uh if we're implying that the TARDIS being a police box is nothing new even though by rise this is probably a different TARDIS to the one the Doctor's currently using because the Doctor stole a TARDIS from Gallifrey so it's, it's just like uh, how many layers do you want to uh, issue in between uh, Troughton and Pertry or something but then that throws the entire regeneration cycle order off and it's just like okay we're gonna need a good explanation next series please I mean don't get me wrong I love Joe Martin's portrayal even in that 10 minutes that she had she oh was me fantastic. too she's brilliant yeah really fantastic just a really strong presence in that 10 minutes as well like that could have flopped so easily but she literally just came in you know did what she needed to do was really assertive about it and I was like yeah she's the she's the doctor I guess you know so no I, I mean it begs the question, of course, like when um, when Jodie eventually decides to step down. I mean, I'm sure you've heard there's these new rumors at the minute. Supposedly, her and Chibnall have signed like a, what was it, like two, three more uh, series deal. Had you heard about that rumor? Yeah, I heard about the rumor. I mean, there was no official verification for it. Much like there's barely any official verification for anything these days. Um, I'd say that I know that Chibnall had a five-year plan, um, but... I don't know if... Uh, I feel like Jodie will probably either leave in, in the next series or the series after that, because a free series seems to be the maximum cut-off for New Who Doctors. Um, but she could surprise us and stay for a fourth series, which I could, which I guess would balance out the episode count. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about the episode count side of things, but yeah, no, that would that would balance it out if she did a if she did a fourth series. But um. I recently saw as well, um, I was tuning into your latest video, which at the time of this recording is the things you want from the upcoming festive special, Revolution of the Daleks. And um, out of the out of the things you discuss, also anyone who hasn't seen it, highly recommended. Um, out of those things you mentioned, um, in your opinion, do you think any of those are realistically likely? Or, or were you making it more from a sense of like, you know, the fan optimism side of things? Uh, it's both fan optimism and what we've uh, what we know. Um, I would say the only likely thing really is probably Captain Jack, but even that has got very <laughs> questionable weight to it. So I take nothing for granted when it comes to uh, uh, the current era at the minute because it could literally go overway and your expectations could be completely destroyed. Um, but I really just want to see Captain Jack again because otherwise his appearance in Fugitive of the Jadoon was completely and utterly worthless. Oh, completely. I think that was the biggest tease. And I mean, we all thought it, didn't we, when it aired? And we were like, well, he's definitely appearing in the in the finale then. And then the finale ended and we were like, right, okay, no, no Captain Jack, okay, never mind. But yeah, no, I, I, you're right. I hope it doesn't just become a, oh, he cameoed for, for two minutes in halfway through a season and we're never going to see him again because that would be really disappointing. As 
Yeah, absolutely horrible. Just while it popped into my head as well, um, going back to the timeless children a minute, the whole thing, you know, with the with the lone Cyberman wanting to... I just thought, you know, with all that build-up you had, you know, with Jack's warning, and I, I thought the lone Cyberman's use in the haunting of Villa Diodati was brilliant, personally, like the way it, it was incorporated, that whole story, and then Jodie's speech afterwards. Um, but I just thought, come the timeless children, when the master sort of took charge, the lone Cyberman was just brushed aside. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'd have to say that I, I agree with you there. I mean, he was dispatched fairly easily. He could have easily have been ascended into a, like a, a big boss villain for Jody's the remainder of Jody's era because the concept of a Cyberman choosing to have emotions is really quite chilling. Mm. No, yeah, certainly. I mean that that scene in particular in in Villa Diodati when it's confronting uh, Mary Shelley. And, um, you know, when you think when you think she's got it on side asking about like his family or children and stuff. And then it he just suddenly comes out. I can't remember the exact line, but something like, oh, I had children. You know, I slit their throats sort of thing. That's like, whoa, OK, that's yeah, that's terrifying. Like a Cyberman who knows that and feels that. But yeah, like literally when the master turned him into a little figure, I think at the time I literally like exclaimed, at, oh, like out loud. Because I was like, oh, well, that's. That's that then, like that's done. So well, that yeah, happened. Was, yeah, pretty much. It was like, oh well, that that's not a thing anymore. And also the um the bit where sorry, sorry, I know I'm going off on random tangents, but I'm just getting things popping into my head. You know, in I think it was in Ascension of the Cybermen near the end, um when you know they've just unveiled like the new look Cybermen, the new Cyber Soldiers on the ship, and then the lone Cyberman starts like drilling into one. And they never really quite explained what the purpose of that was, unless I missed it, but it just sort of happened. I can't remember either. I, I feel like it was something to power them up or something like that, maybe? Uh, I'd have to rewatch the episode again, but... Yeah, no, I just, I just remember that specifically, because, I mean, you, you, you could be right, it could have been like a powered-up thing, but it just... With like the look on the lone Cyberman's face, it looked as if he was, like, attacking it, you know, like, plunging his... Uh, weapon into it or whatever and i just remember thinking that's a really odd looking sequence either they should explain that or if it is a powering up thing make it more obvious because it looked like this poor like newly born cyberman was just being attacked so but yeah little inconsistencies like that i suppose um and i've got to ask as well your youtube name who chaser so where did that come from obviously i know you use uh, the theme of the chase in your uh, in your intros uh, nice touch by the way big fan of game shows nice touch um, but where where did that come from? Well, I was really... One of the first things I did, uh, I had planned for my channel, was really a uh, sort of a... Because I'm a massive, massive fan of The Chase. I had a little uh, game show of sorts where I would be playing a chaser against other people trying to take me on in Doctor Who knowledge. And so that's how that name sort of came about. I did cosplay as well on the side, but then eventually I just... Um, focus more on the cosplay side of things and doing other bits and pieces and eventually just uh, didn't get round to uh, doing any more of the challenges anymore so uh, I guess it just sort of uh, sort of stuck the name just sort of stuck because once you've got a name and people already know to use that name there's no real point to uh, changing it too bad too much that's really cool though that idea of uh, being like a who well a who chaser so to speak I think that's really cool but um yeah, just to just to test your Doctor Who knowledge, then don't worry, you'll probably find this dead easy. Because 
this was always like my question when I was feeling like, yeah, I can show off like how much Doctor Who I know. Um, so what are the two classic stories where the Doctor refers to his nickname of Theta Sigma? Theta Sigma. Uh, the Invasion of Time? Uh, close, but not that specific one. Ah, damn. Uh, Think, uh, wait, it's somewhere in Invasion of Time. It's in the, the next season. Oh, the story next from season. The... Okay, so we're in the Key to Time era. It's been a while since I've watched the Key to Time era. Oh, me, I me tell too. You, it's a bit of a slog, in my uh, opinion. But <laughs> I, Yeah, it's not my favourite. Um, I um, To hazard a guess, because I know of the term, obviously, but... Uh, uh, the... Oh, what's it called again? The Ribos Operation. Good guess, but it was actually the finale, the Armageddon Factor. Oh, the Armageddon Factor. So I think that was the one where... Um, there's that character Drax, which is a Time Lord from, well, claiming to be from the Doctor's year, and I think that's what he refers to him as throughout most of the most of the story. Uh, that's one. And can you pinpoint the other one? Oh, um, that is. Is the next one a Davison one? Uh, no, it's uh, McCoy. McCoy. Oh, it's McCoy. Then. Curse of Fenric. Oh, I love that story. I was about to just wax lyrical about that. It's uh, it's the Happiness Patrol. Oh, Happiness Patrol. Because I think ah. the, they're all like, you know, uh, Susie Q and all that. And then Ace, I think, gets referred to as Ace Sigma. And then I think the Doctor sees a poster and goes, oh, yes, I was known as Theta Sigma in my university days. But um, yeah, so, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot or anything. And if, uh... That's okay. It's only there's questions that are like that that are just uh, of my the the seasons that I watch the least. In all honesty, because oh, I'm no, not that's, a fan of that's the... fair. That's fair. Oh, see, are you, are you not a fan of the McCoy era on the whole? Or... Oh no, 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 no. I love the McCoy era, but I'm just uh, I'm more of a season twenty six and parts of twenty five person, not a season twenty four person. So. I don't think many people are season 24 people, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm not a fan of The Key to Time. It's my least favourite Baker arc, so I'm like... Eh. Oh, do you know what? I... Thank you. Like, the amount of times I've gotten in conversations with people about Tom Baker's era, and they're like, what's your least favourite? I'm like, oh, The Key to Time. And they're like, what? You don't like The Key to Time? But that's the bet. I'm like, okay, leave, leave me alone. But yeah, no, I just think it... I mean, there's some good parts. Like, I like the opener, like the, the Reboss operation and... I like uh, the androids of Tara. I think that's a really good part. But yeah, just like watching all of it. Well, not not all of it in one go, but you know, like story by story. I just, I got to the end of the Armageddon Factor, which again is like six parts. And I'm just like, my God, like, do you know what I mean? I'm just a bit like drained. I'm like, this went on for way too long. Because, oh, yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when they did the whole Doctor Who on Twitch marathon and uh, I tried to watch it from there. And I was just like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And yeah, just, especially if you were doing it on Twitch where there's there's no breaks, I suppose. It just goes on and on and yeah, on and on. It just carried on over the course of a few days and it's just like, oh, this is too much, man. I can't deal with this. And eventually I just had to eventually tune out until they read Destiny of the Daleks. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, finally, some lightness again. But the main thing I remember from Destiny of the Daleks is the line where Tom Baker's got Davros hostage. And for some reason he says, well, it sounds like he says spack off instead of back off. I, I don't know why that just always sticks out because I'm like I, I'm I'm hoping he's saying back off, but it definitely sounds like spack off, and it I'm like, does. what it's a like strange a... insult! Like, I mean, Tom Baker was basically uh, <laughs> very much in command of the crew at that point, so 
It probably wouldn't have done a retake even if they asked. <laughs> they probably thought it wasn't worth it. They were like, nah, just 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 leave it. Let let him do what he wants. But um on Classic Who then, have you got a particular favourite classic story or classic season or anything like that? Season eighteen is my Oh, favorite. that was straight in there. Season eighteen. Nice. Yeah. That is my number one favourite of the classic seasons. And then number two would be about uh, between season 13 and 14. Okay, so but so both uh, both Baker seasons then? Yeah, yeah, they're my, like, my top two. Then it gets a little bit more blurry. But um, yeah, I love season 18. The emphasis on the uh, whole theme of entropy, I just absolutely adore it because I love those the themes that it has across that season and... One of my favourite stories is a story that not many people appreciate or like. It depends on your point of view, but it's the Leisure Hive. And I just have a lot of love for that story because I, from the opening pan on Brighton Beach, it just sets up the new era very, very nicely. Um, just, yeah, it's just great direction. And it's a great opening to John Nathan Turner's era as well because it is certainly one way to get it started and I know that maybe some people would think it gets a bit ropey mid-Davison but I'm a I'm a I quite love the aesthetics and the old attitudes in uh, the John JNT era so season 18 big fan of it no yeah season 18 I think I found a new appreciation for it when I got the the blu-ray set when that came out because that was the first time I watched all of the stories from season 18 in order and I think that's a series that does benefit watching like the stories as they were transmitted. Again, I think to really appreciate those themes of entropy and the more scientific things explored. I really appreciate like the whole thing that you know Chris H. Bidmead as a script editor tried to do to get some real science back into the show. I love it when Doctor explores concepts like that. But um, no, yeah, it's a, I, I think it's a cracking season. I mean, Logopolis, great way for Tom to bow out I think in my opinion really great story even if he wasn't that enthused himself anymore but um yeah it's a weird one that one because he even though Tom was clearly having a bad time completely his performance actually benefited from it oh and, yeah completely because the whole thing is basically the doctor knowing he's gonna die yeah and it's so weird how a the reality of the situation, Tom Baker being basically extremely grumpy, actually fed in very nicely to his doctor being extremely grumpy. Yeah, all the producers watching thinking, oh, if only my actors could actually feel the way I want them to. So, but, but I think, though, that that concept is just like, you know, of the doctor knowing he's going to die. I think that works so much better in like a standalone story like Legopolis rather than had they woven it into all of season 18 compared to you know series six of the modern series matt smith's second one where right from the first episode it's like oh the doctor's gonna die and and then because that series was split as well you had like six months with that looming over but i mean we all knew from the start he wasn't really gonna die so i thought the fact they spread it over a whole season in my opinion anyway the fact they spread it over a whole season just sort of like killed any tension right from the off in my opinion, I don't know what you yeah. thought about that, but it's been a long time since I rewatched series six as well because that's probably one of my least favorite of the modern era. And uh, but I will say I agree with you because the whole when they keep on having these plot threads being like the doctors, he's going to die, like they did in the specials era for Tenant as well. I just don't find it works particularly well because you're too drawn out of the fact that you know this character is not going to die and if it's the death of a specific incarnation I can kind of get behind that but when they 
have it all over their head as if you're going to die a final death, the final end, then that's the that's the the line. That's where the line should be drawn. Yeah. No, that's it. I mean, I think, like I say, with Tennant, they did it a bit better how it was like, you know, for the specials. We knew he was going to die, but they were never like, it is the, as you say, the final end, like he will die and never come back. It was like, okay, we know this incarnation's dying. But yeah, that whole notion of the Matt Smith Doctor being dead and that's it, I was a bit like, well, you've just sort of killed any... The, the question now becomes, how does the Doctor die? It goes to, how the hell does he get out of this one? Which I think works in, like, as I say, one episode, but not over a whole a whole series, especially when it's not brought up all the time. But, you know, I think... that <laughs> Let's just take charge of the show. Let's just, let's just write the show ourselves and every, everything will... As every Doctor Who fan has said at some point, I'm sure. But, oh, every um, Doctor Who fan has plans of doing that. They know what they do with the show. No, no, of course. Yeah, I've got massive respect for the like creative team who do it. I mean, to, I, as you know, probably from you know doing acting, to work in television and especially a drama of that high, uh, like standard and budget and everything that goes into it, like mass. I've got nothing but respect for the the crew that work behind it. I still think you know we are allowed to criticize. Of course, I think everyone's allowed to criticize, but. I think as long as it doesn't get nasty, like personally nasty, because like these people are doing their, you know, they're just doing their jobs in a way. They're doing it how they think they should do it. And I'm like, do you know what? If I don't agree with it, that's cool. But I'm not going to start hurling names at you. But um, no, which I see a bit too often on social. I've started to actually come away from like viewing who opinions or any franchise really, you know, just like on Twitter and stuff. Because like you read the comments and it's just, you're like, yeah, it's really like even small things like you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know if you're a fan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, I don't know if you've seen. In November, they're releasing a big 4K box set of like all 23 films in the Infinity Saga. It looks quite cool. But there seems to be some. I think in America, the cases are like numbered and they're going to be like steel cases. Whereas apparently in the UK, it's just going to be like cardboard sleeves and they're not numbered, which is a bit, you know, that's not, okay, the steels are better, but it's like, you know, it's a small thing. And then there's these comments saying like, you know, oh, I can't believe they've they've, they've done this, these F, you know, effing and jeffing and just, and I'm like, what are you complaining about? Like, you're complaining that a box is made out of cardboard instead of steel. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> they're a just, bigger thing, yeah. yeah. There are just there are so many bigger things to be worried about in the world than uh, what what we get versus what the the country who made most of the films gets. Um, it's just uh, there's an element of fan entitlement in certain respects. Like I will say, absolutely one hundred percent, no one on Doctor Who is setting out to destroy the show. No. no. <laughs> Oh, I love that argument. Like, this person is working on the inside to destroy the show. It's like, well, they're being employed by them, so why would they do that? Like, <laughs> Why would they sabotage their own livelihood and income? Exactly. It's <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. It's just complete... Or, like, when... Like, this whole... I've seen it here and there where, like, oh, this person's evil. And I'm like... It's, evil's a very strong word to start with, and... It's not a word I'd use to describe people like Jodie Whittaker or Chris Chibnall. More so people like Harvey Weinstein or someone of that nature. I'd argue that's a, a proper use of the term. I just, yeah, but it's this whole thing, like we said, isn't it, of like social media and people just feeling more powerful because, well, they can't be held accountable for anything that they they say or do, really, which is a shame. But to, to put it on a lighter note, just away from Doctor Who for a second, I know, shock horror, everyone. 
Um, what what other franchise or TV show or film would be like your number two? If like Doctor Who's your number one like franchise love, is there a close second? Absolutely, Star Trek. Ah, Trekkie. Yeah, nice, big nice one. I was chatting with, I believe you know Philip, Philip Hawkins. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was chatting with him on on the show the other day, and he's he's a big Trekkie, and uh, I, I he, well I asked him because I'm I, see I'm not one myself. I've dabbled in some of the shows and whatnot, but I would never consider myself like a a, a diehard Trekkie. I don't know enough, but you know I was ask I asked the question of is Star Trek in a good place because I just you know you see the odd things online about the I think it, you know the Star Trek Discovery show how some people aren't happy with it or whatever. And, you know, to someone who's not initiated, I guess, it looked to me as if, oh, dear, this show's in a bit of trouble. But then he made the point of, oh, no, I mean, there's like six shows being made about Star Trek at the minute. And I'm like, that's great. Like, so, oh, a nice to meet another Trekkie. Have you got a particular favorite Star Trek series? I think Phillips was Deep Space Nine, if I've remembered correctly. Oh, I love Deep Space Nine. And uh, I think Deep Space Nine is probably the best of the Star Trek series, but my favourite is The Next Generation, purely because both nostalgia and I love the characters. But I I love... I love the uh, Deep Space Nine and I love Next Gen. I love the original series as well. Those are my three favourites. I mean, I do have a great appreciation of what comes after as well like voyager has a lot of good points to it it's not as strong as the others but it has a lot of good points um as well as that uh enterprise seen as kind of the weakest series but again there are there are some very interesting episodes of it nearer to the end um discovery i enjoy uh i've only seen the first series i just haven't gone around to seeing the second one but i did enjoy it um, and I watched the first episode of Lower Decks today. I thought that was a bit of a mixed experience because that's the new animated series. It's very Rick and Morty-like. Um, it was very, very jarring. But yeah, um, I'd say the franchise, from my point of view, is kind of in a good place because there's a lot being produced. You've got... Uh, they just announced Star Trek Prodigy uh, as well, which is going to be a CG animated kids series uh, featuring uh, some lawless teens fi finding an abandoned Federation starship. Um, so I think the fact that the the franchise is seen as profitable enough to make all sorts of brand new TV shows, so in, in essentially a whole new 80s, 90s era, um, I think that can only be seen as a good sign. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, you've essentially just uh, backed up what what Philip said as well, just saying how it's in a really good place. And I think that's that's sort of the problem when you see these articles or you know, tweets that with a headline that spell, you know, doom and gloom just because like a minority complained about something. It's like this whole thing now with Doctor Who saying, oh, it's, it, it's going to be cancelled again. It's history repeating itself. It's just like in the late 80s. And it's like, yes, in in the sense of the ratings, when you look at them at face value, are they lower? Yes. But in, in like today's world with digital and catch up and DVD sales and stuff, it's like, audience figures i think don't really carry that much or as at least as much weight as they used to in terms of judging a show's success yeah i mean it's all about the download figures as well on like i i player or itunes or amazon prime it's all about how the show is uh, watched because a lot of people will watch on catch up if you compare it to if you compare the show to uh, what i would say is probably the the prime of the new era say the late russell c davis era the early matt smith era then of course you're going to look at the ratings from then and note that there's a massive come down 
then, and I won't deny some of the audience had definitely left. They um, they left during Capaldi's era, as much as I love it. Um, but at the same time, there is new audiences coming in as well, and they might just be watching in different ways, in different forms. Um, the show is still performing okay. It may not be doing as well as it did ten years ago, but it's still doing. Okay, still performing, you know, you know, like your reasonable uh, prime time BBC drama. Mm. And, it, and I think. And, oh, sorry. Go on. Go on. Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, and all the merchandise that's still being um, created for it as well, just goes to show that the BBC still feel it's profitable because in the late eighties they'd be winding it down very significantly, but they still have a good deal of faith in the brand and uh, the fact that it hasn't been cancelled yet shows that they are still interested in it so that can only be seen as a good thing no exactly that was the point i was going to hit on you right the whole merchandising thing like when you just think of the sheer amount of doctor who merchandise that is still being produced like of the of the jodie era and stuff like i mean if if the brand was going to be cancelled on tv like i don't think we'd get like big spin-off things like the whole thing we've got now with time lord victorious coming up across all the which I think is a really cool idea. I'm probably not going to be able to get every single release, sadly, but um, no. But um, I think it's a cool idea. Like, do you think it's a cool concept? The whole Time Lord Victorious thing. I definitely think it's a cool concept. Just uh, um, the the price tag attached is almost unassailable for most Doctor Who fans, unless they're hardcore. Because we're talking like um, four big fin uh, six. Uh, yeah, six big Finnish um, stories and another BBC audio, uh, three novels, uh, a whole set of comics. Uh, yeah, it's going to be very, very costly. Um, so you're going to have to really pick a medium and stick to it un unless you have the expendable income, which some people may do. Uh, Fortunately, it's going to be spread out, fortunately, but uh, at the same time, it is going to be interesting to see how it all plays out and keeps a cohesive narrative for those who are not able to get everything. No, exactly. And I'm sure like once it all wraps up, there'll be like videos on YouTube of people being like, here is the whole Time Lord Victoria story explained or whatever. Sort of like a Star Wars theory video. Yeah, like breaking it all down, which will be cool, but it's also cool to experience it firsthand. But I suppose the the major big finish news is, of course, Chris Eccleston coming back. Yay! Yeah, no, we all fans rejoice. I mean, I were you shocked? Because I know I was. I was surprised, but I was extremely happy. I mean, I knew that Eccleston was getting more and warmer and warmer towards the fans ever since he started doing Comic Cons. And I think that probably swayed him a bit. Um, just seeing how popular his Doctor still is. And so he just decided to do Big Finish because, you know, there is like, he's clearly warmed up enough to the show to, uh, after the, in these past 15 years to be able to be like, OK, I can revisit this. And I think that's both fantastic in terms of like we're getting new Ninth Doctor stuff from the Ninth Doctor himself. And we're getting uh, well, he's getting uh, to be able to revisit the role that he clearly loved. No, that's it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm glad. Yeah, just glad he's coming back because he, he's always said he's been quite proud of the role. So I, I think uh, in, initially for me, my hopes were dashed when he didn't come back for the 50th because I thought I think in my head, you know, if he's not going to come back for something as big as that, 
then at that time, you know, well, that's it. But yeah, as you say, he's warm to the fans and thankfully he's doing stuff. But would you want these audio adventures to be the Ninth Doctor with, say, like Rose or Captain Jack? Or would you want it to be with like new companions or like what sort of thing? If if it was down to you, what sort of adventures would you want to see with the Ninth Doctor on audio? Well, um, there are going to be, I believe, four box sets. So I would quite like to see uh, maybe the first two would be like, pre pre rose adventures maybe uh, before he meets rose and we can see the ninth doctor literally just after that regeneration from into uh, from john hurt into him and we can see his first moments um and then just cover the adventures that he had after that maybe some of that grief how he taps into that grief and just really feel the rawness of this character and then maybe for the latter two if they can get billy involved then some extra stories with her and Chris would be absolutely excellent, and maybe even one with John if uh, they can uh, if they can do that. Yeah, well, I think John seems to love any big opportunity to to cause a stir, so I'd like to think he'd come back in a in a heartbeat. But no, definitely, I think that's a good way to go about it. Sort of like the half and half approach, as you say, of like pre rose stuff and then post rose stuff, because I think, like you say, that grief is what makes Eccleston one of, if not the most interesting of, like, the new Doctors since it came back. Yeah, he's just definitely one of the most compelling. Mm, like, because he's, he acts in such, I think he's a brilliant actor, like, a, a lot of his work I've seen and, and loved. I mean, we won't talk about Thor The Dark World, but, you know, that's beside the point. Um, or G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, that was just an ugh, awful movie. Anyway, but, um, yeah, there's little things he does. Like, I love actors who... You know, they feel like when it comes to like heavy stuff or like really emotional or uh, difficult stuff, they feel like they don't have to really overplay it in a way, whether that's in their movements, their dialogue. Like Eccleston does so much with just his, you know, his face alone, where you know instantly what he's feeling, what he's thinking. I mean, the whole bit, you know, in a, I think it's in the end of the world when uh, when uh, Jabe, you know, just says, oh, I know where you're from and it's not possible, and you just see, like, a tear go down his face. Like, obviously, at the time, when it first aired, those of us who were new, like me, that was, like, my second-ever Doctor Who. That was a bit like, what's she talking about? But in hindsight, it's like, whoa, like, that's... It's just good acting. I found the same with Capaldi as well. The things Capaldi could do in just a look or, like, one word, I was like, man, like, you're a good actor. <laughs> just in they are they are both phenomenal actors and I'm so happy they just took the role. Even if Eccleston was only in one one visual series, he still performed a whole like a whole half a decade's worth in one series. So it was both of them just performed uh, incredibly well. And I that's why Capaldi's like my uh, favourite of the new doctors, but Eccleston is very, very high up there on my list. Oh, no, yeah. Capaldi's my favourite of the news as well. He's actually my favourite Doctor of all time, I think. It was it was, it was, was William Hartnell for a long time. It was William Hartnell. With him, it was more like, obviously, because he's the first, he is just so different when you compare it to everyone else. And I don't know, I sort of liked that he was so uniquely different. But yeah, just after after Series 8 with Capaldi, that was it for me. I was like, yeah. I was like, you've, you've pipped it. It was my favourite scene, probably debatably my favorite scene in doctor who ever is in dark water you know the penultimate for series eight it's the scene where <laughs> and people might laugh because it's the you know it's the dreamy sequence when they're on like the volcano 
Yeah, I'll never forget watching that on transmission. When you know, when we don't know it's a hallucination at first, and just the way he plays that scene. You know, you've got this young woman like begging you to, you know, go and save her loved one, uh, and he's the I don't know, just the way he plays it, how stern he is, how forthright he is. I just found that so powerful because I think if you pitted that to like you know a David Tennant or a Matt Smith they would have been like, oh yeah, of course, you know, you know, let's go and do it, let's go save him. Whereas Capaldi took the complete opposite approach and I just found it so interesting and gripping and yes, I know it's a hallucination and we can all laugh about it and it didn't really happen. Well, that's the thing, but... I love that about it because it's so, it's so McCoy in that manipulation aspect that he's clearly just seeing how far Clara will go with this and he's being like, okay, we'll play this out, I'll play it like it's happening. And he just literally, it's only at the end that he's like, okay, calm down. It's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> and it's just great. Yeah, you're right. I guess Capaldi in a lot of ways, particularly in that first season, was very McCoy-esque. I mean, the whole, you know, the kill the moon thing, where he's just like, right, I'm going now. It's up to you. That I think that's a very McCoy-esque thing to do. But I think Series 8 is probably my favorite of the modern ones, just because, again, like the tone of it is so different and so... I think it's just what we needed after season seven, which, I mean, I love Matt Smith, but I think towards the end, in my opinion, it got a bit too, like, whimsical and fairy tale, which I'm all for, like, a splash of, but I just thought it got a bit too like that. So then to go to series eight, where it's very dark and very, like, more strict, and you've got a Doctor Who, again, isn't necessarily likable in some cases, but I, I for me, I just found that so compelling, and so in, I never knew what he was going to do or say next, and... Like, I know they toned it down in series nine and 10, and I still love those because Capaldi's just, uh, you could write anything for him and he'd just, he'd knock it out of the park. But I really wish it'd been interesting to see if he was still more, you know, in that series eight vein for his whole tenure. Obviously, like, mellow a bit. I don't want him to be, like, stern all the time. But I, I just wish he'd sort of kept that more, like, sterner edge all the way through. I just think that could have been a really interesting journey i mean i get why they toned it down because i guess a lot of people found it a bit too abrasive but yeah i i think they missed a trick there yeah unfortunately as you said um the the audience just didn't respond well well to it even though i personally quite liked it as well it's the same with what happened with colin baker as well because they did him abrasive and brash at the start and again certain audiences got to turned off by it and it's unfortunate that uh the doctor's character arc is limited by the uh, audience reception um but i really liked Gabaldi in series eight i think he's uh excellent in series 10 as well um but series eight is very he has a very unique portrayal of the doctor in regards to well the entire new series because he's even spikier than eccleston mm, mm. and i think that's what i liked because as you say eccleston could be spiky he has those moments when you rewatch series one where you're like oh that's a bit on the edge or a bit on the nose but yeah capaldi in that in that first season especially just takes it to a whole another level the scene that springs to mind is you know in deep breath when he confronts the the homeless man and he's like, he's being a bit deluded at first, but then when he just suddenly flips and gets a bit more sterner, like that whole, give me a coat, you know, and the guy's like, oh, I'm cold. And he's like, yeah, so am I, give me a coat. It's like, oh, that's like, that's really different for the doctor. But it, again, it was in a way I was like, I like this in like the intrigue sort of sense. Like I want more of this, the whole ambiguity with the the half-faced man, you know, did he fall? Did he get pushed? And how it never quite tells you, it's literally left up to... I love things like that. 
Because, mm. I mean, I, I've looked at it either way. Like, I watch Deep Breath. Every time I watch it, I think I think differently either side. You know, it's like, oh, well, the Doctor pushed him because of X, Y, and Z. Or, oh, no, the Half-Faced Man just did it because of X, Y, Z. I, I love the conundrum. Some of Moffat's best work, in my opinion. Really, some of his, his best work, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I am aware we're running up to an hour, which is usually the standard for this show. So... Um, before we clock off, just a few things. First of all, I want to ask you, Dom, what is your favorite like Doctor Who memory? Whether that be a moment when you watch the show or just a moment like at a convention. Just what's your favorite moment related to Doctor Who, basically, for you? Oh, good question. Um, probably meeting Peter Capaldi. You've uh, met him? Yeah, I met him at... Uh, uh, well, I met him three times Oh, mate, you're making me so jealous. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Yeah, he's such a lovely man. I met him at the Doctor Who Festival in 2015, and then I met him outside the BFI, and the last time I met him was at um, LFCC a couple of years ago. Um, I'll have to send you a really cool picture because there was a whole crowd of us. This is probably my favourite memory. There was a whole crowd of us, the Doctor Who fans, just uh, milling about. We'd just done a cosplay photo shoot, just about to walk away. And then suddenly Peters comes out and stops us. And he just like, uh, he loved how we dressed and he wanted to take a picture of us. And it was just, oh, the photo is just amazing. That's an honour bestowed by the gods, that is, if Peter Capaldi want to take a picture with you like that. That's amazing. Yeah, definitely send me that. I'd love to see it. But um, yeah, my with Peter, I've never met him yet, you know, touch wood. There's, there's still time. Um, but um, the university I went to was a place called Lippa in Liverpool, a drama school. And one of the things they did every few months, they'd try and get someone from the industry in to do like, you know, a and a sort of thing. And the year after I graduated, who do they get? Oh, Peter no. Capaldi. And oh. I I still had my ties and stuff. I'd help them with some of the auditions. And I was like begging. I was like, please. I was like, please let me sit in. And they were like, it's really for the students. And I was like, yeah, I get it. But I'm a really big fan. <laughs> so sadly, uh, no, sadly missed out on that. But, you know, there's there'll be conventions when this pandemic's all over. So my fingers are crossed, but um, no, that's a really great memory, man. Thank you for sharing that with us. And um, before we go, do you want to, um, where can people find you? Do you want to shout out your YouTube and socials and stuff? Yes. Yeah, so on YouTube, I am Who Chaser. And on Instagram, I am Dominus of Time, which... Uh, I like that. That's cool. <laughs> it's a pun on play on Time Lord. Um, <laughs> and uh, on Twitter, I am at Dominic JGM. So nice. yeah, that's where you can find me. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, definitely check out Dom's videos, guys. Like the cosplay and stuff's really just, it's just in, I find them really interesting. Like how you, you know, how you compose them and get it all together. I think it's really great. And uh, definitely check out DW2012's fan film series where you can catch Dom as the Purple Doctor. Yes, first episode is out now and we'll hopefully be releasing uh, more episodes of Series 5 later this year incredible when the world actually sorts itself out hopefully, basically which will yes be, yes which will be soon but no check out all of don's stuff and um just finally thank you so much for being on the show mate it's been great having you i've loved waxing lyrical about doctor who with you it's been a real pleasure and i hope to work with you again sometime in the future no problem likewise thank you for having me no problem well thank you again and until the next one guys we shall see you in the next installment